0: Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks and you speak to us. And we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you that through it we can know you. We can know what you are like. Father, we pray that we would have ears that are ready to listen tonight to you as you speak to us through Psalm 19. We thank you, Father, that when we read the words of the Bible, we hear you and we hear from you. We hear about your great plan to save your people, and to bring us back to you, to reconcile us into a right relationship with you. Father, help us as we listen now to have hearts that are soft, ready to listen to what it is that you have to say, and ready to change accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine with me for a moment that over the Christmas holidays, you had a knock on the door. And you opened it to find a man or a woman stood there who you didn't recognize, hand outstretched, saying, Hello, I'm a distant relative of yours. We've never met each other before. Let's become friends. Until that point, you had absolutely no idea of what they were like, if he or she even existed. But you bring them indoors and you sit down with them and they start to tell you more about what they are like. And now that contact has been established between you and this relative of yours, now that communication has been opened, you can befriend that person. If they stood there at the front door in silence, their relationship wouldn't go particularly far, and you'd probably close the door pretty quickly. But as they speak to you, you find out more about them, and you get to know them better. We've just celebrated Christmas, and Christmas is the good news of Jesus coming to earth to show us what God is like. As it were, Jesus stands knocking at the door to our lives with his hand outstretched to say, let's be friends. And it's certainly true that this idea of God befriending his people can be found the whole way through the Bible. The Bible as a whole, right the way through 66 books, is God revealing who he is, his character, what he stands for, what he opposes, and his plan to make a people for himself. And our psalm this evening is absolutely no exception to that. The Bible is central to our life as a church, because when we read and teach God's word, we hear his voice. We know God better by looking at the Bible. This is his contact, his communication with us. And so as his people, we have the Bible at the heart of everything that we do as a church and as individuals. Well, we're in the Psalms this evening, and I think in the Psalms in particular, we see words and phrases used that articulate emotion, often very raw emotion, and reaction to who God is and how he reveals himself and to what it is that he is doing. The Psalms are full of language used by God's people to reflect on what God is like. And as we grasp God's character, his love and his mercy, our understanding of him grows, our understanding of him develops, and our hearts are focused on him, and our affections are warmed towards him. And that's what Psalm 19 would ask of us this evening. Let's imagine King David sitting and penning this, Recording this. And let's imagine the weight of emotion, of joy, and of awe that we sense behind his words as we look at this psalm together. There's a a rough outline of what we'll look at on the back of your sheets in front of you there, and that might help you as we read this psalm together. The first thing that we notice from the psalm is that creation speaks to us. About God. That's what we read from verses 1 to 6. Creation speaks to us about God. Imagine for a minute walking into somebody's house that you've never met before and nobody's at home. You start to wander around their kitchen, their living room, their attic, and you would learn certain things about them, wouldn't you? You might work out how many kids they had or where they enjoyed shopping, uh, perhaps which sports they played. You could see if their taste in music was more Radiohead or Rihanna. You could see if their choice in movie was more Shawshank or Shrek. And in a very general way, you could learn and understand certain things about the character and the personality of this individual or this family. As you spend time in their house, it speaks to you about the individual or the family who created that living space. Well, David says that we're in God's creation, and we can do exactly the same thing. As we look at creation, it speaks to us about God that created this living space for humanity. And notice that creation doesn't whisper about God, it speaks loud and clear. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Again, in verse 1, the skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day, pours out speech in verse 2. That phrase has the idea of something bubbling up and pouring out over the surface. And in verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth. Creation speaks about God very clearly, very crisply to everybody. His voice is for everybody to hear purely by virtue of waking up in the morning, looking out of the window and seeing the world around us. And creation doesn't really suggest that God exists, but we also glimpse some aspect of His power and his creativity. As we spend time looking at God 's creation, we understand certain things about the character, the personality and the majesty of God. So in verse one again, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His handiwork. Night to night reveals knowledge. And David will go on to focus on the sun in verses 5 and 6 because it is the sustainer of life. The sun bursts onto the scene like a man who is ready to get married. If you know about it, when it arrives, it's inescapable. Everybody feels its heat and it keeps us alive, much like the creator behind it. Creation speaks to the whole world to reveal God's existence, yes, but also equally to declare God's glory, his creativity, his provision, and his ongoing care. And it's right for us as humans, as the pinnacle of God's creation, to enjoy the creation that we see around us. David's words are, are words of deep affinity and affection, aren't they? And this psalm, like the rest of the psalms and the Bible as a whole, is resplendent with joy language. And this is the appropriate response to God's creation. Joy. Joy. So when we absorb the view from the top of our favorite Monroe or watch the sun dip over the West Coast and throw up a whole spectrum of color, it is right to enjoy these things. Not only are they pleasing to us, but they show us a glimpse of what God who made them is like. And it's worth mentioning as well that creation is not silent on its own origin. It wants us to understand that It's not simply a deaf and mute collection of different landscapes. But David wants us to see very clearly that creation declares to us that there is real intention behind it. There is enough, there is sufficient revelation in creation to move every person into believing that behind the creation, there is a creator. Which I think is a fairly controversial point to make. I wonder what we think about that. Is that really true? It's certainly what one of Jesus' apostles named Paul would say 1,000 years later in a letter to Christians in Rome. And in that letter, Paul will also mention that creation reveals the invisible attributes of God. And so everybody is without excuse. In fact, Paul will use this very Sam to unpack the idea that everybody has heard the gospel. And likewise, David here is unembarrassed, unashamed, in suggesting that in a very real way, we see God's creativity, his glory, his majesty, when we look at the world around us. It causes us to wonder if there is a creator behind the creation. In fact, I think a chap from my year at school summed it up nicely. He's, he's not a Christian. Uh, and A number of years ago, he was lying on a trampoline at a friend's house on a, a rare cloudless night on the outskirts of Glasgow. And he was looking up at the stars and the moon. And after looking at them for perhaps a few minutes, he turned to the rest of his friends and he said, you know, looking up on that, sometimes I wonder if there is a God. As we look around us at what God has made, his glory, his handiwork, his creation, gently tap us on the shoulder and declare to us, that God is real. And for all of us, whether we are exploring Christianity, whether we are convinced Christians already, or indeed when we speak to our non-Christian friends and family members about gospel, about Jesus, creation is there. Creation has been there first, constantly speaking through its mere existence about God the creator, causing onlookers to ponder if something or someone is behind it all. Creation speaks to us about God. Well, that's perhaps enough for us to know about a God, but is it possible to know this God personally? Those are two very different things, aren't they? So, can the Pentlands really answer the big questions that we have about God? Will the Bass Rock tell me what this God thinks of me? Will Loch Lomond reveal whether or not I'll spend eternity with God in heaven? Well, the very obvious answer to these questions is no. Imagine you had wandered around that person's house that we mentioned earlier on. And after about 10 minutes of looking around their house at other things, the owner of the house arrives home. And after she overcomes the initial shock of finding you rummaging around her music books on the piano, she encourages you to have a seat in an armchair. She sticks the kettle on and she sits down next to you. Well, now you would have the chance to know more, more than merely what taste she had, more than how creative she was. You'd have the chance to know what she was like. You would come to know the owner personally. And so likewise, as Andy prayed earlier on, we need more than creation to know God personally. Creation speaks to us about God, but the second thing that this psalm makes very, very clear is that God speaks to us through his word. That's the second point on your sheet there. God speaks to us through his word. And this is very, very good news, because it means that a relationship with this God is possible. The word that David uses for God in this section is different. It's no longer a relatively generic and ambiguous term. It's the name of God, Yahweh, the covenant God, the God of his people, David wants us to go from a general understanding through creation of there being a God to a more specific and personal revelation of who God is through his law, through his word. And so in the same way that the owner of the house can meet you to introduce themselves by name and so that you can know that person personally, God does the same through his word. And the language here again that David uses is very strong strong. Very rich and full of joy. I wonder if, as God's people, and I'm probably the worst offender of this, we've lost some sense of delight when we speak about God's Word. We can often speak of it with indifference, dare I say it, boredom, or with hushed tones as if we were embarrassed. I know I've fallen for all of that on a number of occasions. But David's language here is a wonderful reminder of the way that we can enjoy God's Word just as much as God's creation. In fact, I think with the language that David uses here, we can even suggest that David enjoys God's law with a stronger intensity than anything else in in creation. King David, with the kingdom of Israel at his command, with all the riches and the delicacies of the land available to him, can look at God's rules and say, verse 10, they are more to be desired than gold. Or verse 11, they are sweeter than honey. Well, what could possibly make David respond in such a way to God's law? Well, David says in verse 7 that the law is perfect, the testimony of the Lord is sure. And in verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. And the rules of the Lord in verse 9 are true and righteous. David says the law of the Lord is completely free from any sense of imperfection, evil, compromise, or corruption. When someone writes you a letter or when somebody writes a book, they they pour some of their own personality into it, don't they? You feel the flavor of somebody's character in what they write. Well, it's the same with the Lord God. The law that he speaks to David, the law that he gives to his people is perfect, it's sure, it's true, and it's righteous. Because God himself is perfect, sure, pure, true, and righteous. The law from God is a perfect reflection of who the Lord is. But the law that David is speaking of isn't merely just a passive pleasure for David, it has an active effect on him. I wonder if you noticed that as we read it together. David says in verse 7 that as God speaks his law, it revives the soul. It brings life. He says in verse 8 that it rejoices the heart. It actually grabs a hold of David's heart and rejoices it. Then he goes on to say in verse 8 that it enlightens the eyes. It offers real wisdom, godly wisdom. How to live a life that pleases and points to God who made us and loves us. And when David hears God speaking through his reviving, rejoicing, and enlightening words, David rightly responds in verse 9 with fear, knowing that obedience to God will lead into and last into eternity, spent with God, in his presence, as his people. That obedience is clean. That's the word that the verse uses, verse 9. Obeying a good God who loves his people will endure forever into eternity, accepted by God, where the Christian will enjoy him forever. God speaks through his word, and he's not the sort of God with which we argue, and there is no reason why we would want to. God's word offers us life, it offers us joy, it offers us wisdom, and it offers us eternity. And that's why, for us as a church family, as God's people, we dwell on it day after day, week after week. And it's why we as a church family hold it so dearly to us and place such a strong emphasis on teaching it to ourselves daily and sharing it with others. For example, at house groups and holiday clubs, card and Christianity Explored, seniors' lunch and Sunday club, we will open the Bible and we will hear. God speaking to us. When we read the word of God, we hear his voice, and his word speaks life, wisdom, and eternity into our souls. And at the start of a new year, I would love to stand here, and I would love to tell you that 2014 was a year when I felt as strongly and as enthusiastically as David did about God's word. I'd love to tell you that 2015 is going to be exactly the same because all the other years have been. But it's not true. And It's not been true for me. And I wonder if a number of us will feel that way. We haven't looked at God's word regularly to hear him speak. We don't feel like God's word is really as valuable as David makes it out to be. And yet Psalm 19 would not condemn us away from God but would rather encourage us towards him. What this psalm shows us is that by understanding the effects that God's word has on us, our response in turn is realizing the worth, realizing the joy found in reading the Bible and hearing from the God that created us. That's the order that appears in this psalm. Notice that. David first understands what God's word does. He understands the reviving, teaching, joyful, enlightening, eternal, and righteous nature of God's Word. And David then realizes, he concludes that it is more precious than gold and honey. And in response, as a church family, can I suggest we spend a great deal of time thinking about the effects that David mentions here in this psalm? The effects that the Word of God has in our lives. As we really mull that over, let's allow our response to be one of really investing our day-to-day lives in God's word. Let's be ready to read it on a day-to-day basis. Let's be frequently sharing what we read with our family and friends. Let's enjoy the way that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God's vitalizing words of eternal life that grow our knowledge of him. So in Psalm 19, we see creation speaking generally about God, we see God speaking clearly and sharply through his word into the lives of his people. And in our last section, we see the response of King David in repentance. Just cast your eyes onto verse 11 as we move on to our last point. King David says that God's law does two things. It warns King David. There's a warning. And it promises King David great reward. And we see very acutely what those two aspects are in the last section of the psalm, verses 12 to 14. This is David's response. This is David's cry on the back of everything that he's written up until this point. He's heard God speak through his words. And now David turns the direction of his words to God. Verse 12. Declare me innocent for hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. David is particularly wary of those sins that slip into his life under the radar. And it is no coincidence at all that he is most acutely aware of those sins just after dwelling on the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord exposes the sins of the reader, as it were, like a light shining into the dark corner of a room or a surgeon's scalpel cutting away a growth. That is the warning for the servant of God. When the servant of God considers the law of God, it will press into the life of the reader in such a way to make us feel very, very uncomfortable. If you go to a doctor with a pain in your shoulder or your leg, and the doctor begins to press around the area to see where the pain is felt most acutely, you start to wince as he or she gets closer and closer to the affected area. And yet that's exactly what you need in order for the issue to be diagnosed and for the healing process to begin. And it's exactly the same when we read the law of the Lord. The ways in our lives where we've turned away from God are felt ever so acutely in our lives as God's word presses against us. And yet notice David's response here. He doesn't turn away from God in shame and embarrassment Rather, he turns back towards God in repentance. David knows that God can declare him innocent, verse 12. David knows that God can keep David back from sinning, verse 13. The word of God would expose our sins, yes, but it would prompt the reader to respond in repentance. And that's the third and final point on your sheet. And notice that David has gone from using a general word to describe God to God's covenant name, that Yahweh used to reveal himself, and now David can speak to God as you, as he asks for forgiveness. This is a psalm of revelation, leading to relationship, leading to repentance. Psalm 19 is in one sense a paradigm. It's a template for anyone who would look at creation speaking, who would wonder if there was a God, who would then look to the Bible to hear God speaking, And then he would appropriately respond in repentance. And David knows that through this repentance and through this forgiveness, he stands, verse 13, blameless and innocent of great transgression. David himself was a great king. But in his life, he, like the rest of us, sinned often. And yet he can say with confidence that the Lord will forgive him his sins. We believe in the same God and the same guarantee that if we, like King David, ask God for forgiveness, then God's forgiveness is ours. David is totally assured of this forgiveness and it's through knowing God and through reading God's word that David knows that God can and wants to forgive his people. And when we read the Bible ourselves, we too can read of this wonderful forgiveness that God offers to those who would trust in him. That forgiveness is ours through the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. David knew that the day would come when the Messiah would come to earth to rescue his people. And the Christian stands, historically speaking, on the other side of that that event, looking back historically and knowing the forgiveness that's to be found in Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross means blamelessness from presumptuous sins. The cross means innocence from great transgressions and hidden faults. For great King David, and for you and for me, for everyone who has read Psalm 19 throughout the generations, and for us sitting here tonight, Creation would point us towards God's existence. God's law explicitly reveals his character. It explicitly reveals our sins. And the Christian would turn to God in repentance for forgiveness. This is the God that we know from reading the Bible. He's not a God who remains silent. And he's certainly not a God that can be silenced. His message is, I am here and I am ready to forgive So the prayer of verse 13 seems a very, very natural response to meeting this God through creation, through his word, and seeing that reconciliation is to be found in him. It's the prayer of the preacher before preaching. It's the prayer of the small group leader before the study begins. And it's a prayer that every Christian can take onto his or her lips. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we hear God speaking to us through his word, and as we ask God for forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. It takes the Christian's affections and changes those affections to be more like the affections of Jesus. And as this happens, we will want the desires of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, to be acceptable in the sight of God. He is our rock. He has redeemed us. And this is how we respond to that. Creation speaks of him. He speaks to us through his word. And the hearer can freely turn to him in repentance, receive the forgiveness of which he speaks in his word, and live lives that honor him, mouth and heart. And so at the start of a new year, at the start of 2015, May this psalm stand as a reminder of the speaking God that we know and we love as Chalmers Church and the speaking God who knows us and loves us. Let's thank God that he is a God who has not stayed silent but has come to us hand outstretched and said, let's be friends. Let's pray together. Father, having heard your word, we pray that you would declare us innocent from sins, that our presumptuous sins and our hidden faults would not have dominion over us. Father, we pray that we would live lives that are blameless, that are innocent of great transgression. Father, we thank you that we have that through Jesus. We thank you that through knowing him, we are in a right relationship with you. And Father, we pray that the words that we speak the thoughts that we think, the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable to you and that you would really use us, Father, to share the wonderful good news of Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross and rising again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.